and welcome to Melbourne Marvels and the very long-awaited third episode on William Buckley. I must apologise to my listeners for the long wait since the last episode. I do envisage, though, that I'll be releasing them more regularly in the future. This is the third episode of what will be a four-part series on William Buckley. If you haven't heard the previous two episodes, then I recommend that you go back and listen to episodes one and two before listening to this one. Before we start, I want to request that if you are enjoying the series, that you would please subscribe to the show, whether on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. The more subscriptions I get, the more discoverable the show becomes. Also, I have a Patreon page and would appreciate it if you could spare a dollar for each show you listen to. Currently, I have only one patron, and that's my mum. So, yeah, I could do with the support. If you do donate on Patreon, I will even read your name out on the next show. So, Eilish Gunning, thank you for being my first patron. Today's podcast covers most of the time Buckley spent living with the Wathorong people, about 25 years, as they roamed around southwestern Victoria. I've basically summarized a lot of the highlights of this time as related in the book, The Life and Adventures of William Buckley. I'd like to footnote this episode by mentioning a couple of things first. There was an ample amount of internecine violence between the various groups of Aboriginal people Buckley lived and interacted with during this time, and he talks of having witnessed both cannibalism and infanticide. Now, I've seen some sketchy far-right Twitter accounts using these facts as justification for their racist ideologies in which they make sweeping assumptions about the inferiority of Aboriginal culture. I want to make it absolutely clear that I do not hold these views. Furthermore, the book itself was ghostwritten by John Morgan, whose own racial prejudice is clearly documented in its preface. One must remember that he has coloured much of its contents with this prejudice. Nevertheless, I think it would be remiss of me not to report the important details of the book, and so I have included them here. But it may well be that the Wathorong account of William Buckley, or Murrungurk as they called him, differs in some respects. Okay, without further ado, the third episode of the Melbourne Marvel's four-part series on William Buckley. Buckley slowly began to understand the language of the Wathorong. His mob joined another called the Bengali and hunted kangaroo in the area between the sea and the Barwon River, which they considered to be a kind of inheritance. They killed lots of kangaroo here, and Buckley was very grateful because he regained his health because his friends always gave him the choicest portions. Buckley mentions here that his praying to God sustained him, and he was very grateful to the Almighty. They stayed at this hunting ground for a few months, but then moved on again as the supplies of game diminished. Buckley's mob killed and cooked two wild dogs, which they considered a fine delicacy. They found it amusing that he didn't want any. Buckley swapped his dog leg for some kangaroo, which the man in question found hilarious because he thought he'd gotten the better deal. Buckley mentions here how the Aboriginal people did not consider it surprising at all that he was not able to talk to them because he had died and returned as a white man. They tried very hard to teach him their language and were pleased when he said a word or a sentence correctly. Buckley became skilled at throwing the spear and tomahawk and at skinning kangaroos and possums with mussel shells, also at spearing eels, although they usually caught these from lions attached to earthworms. They killed salmon and bream by tying some sticks together and lighting one end to make a torch. At night they go to the river and hold it near the water. The fish gather towards the light and then are speared. 
One day, a party of 300 Warangbadawa, or Warundri, approached. This raised great alarm as they were all men, and this group was considered an enemy. Fighting commenced between them, at first just between the men, while the women and Buckley hid in the bushes. Then the men let up a war cry, and all the women Buckley was with ran to the men's aid as well, and a great battle commenced. Two of the women from Buckley's mob were killed. After about two hours of this fighting, there was a parley, and the other group retreated. However, the men from Buckley's party followed them and found their encampment. They waited till the other mob had retired to sleep and then ambushed them. They killed three men and the rest fled. Afterwards, they mutilated the bodies of the men, cutting off their arms and legs. They cut pieces of flesh and smeared them on their children's bodies. They fed the bones of them to their dogs and put slices of their flesh in trees for birds of prey to feed on. Then they buried their own two women in the customary way. After a while, the mob moved on to another lake called Yawankontes, or Lake Murdijuk. Here they made huts and stayed in the area for about one to two years. Then they were invited by another mob to another lake called Kongiadgilik, today known as Lake Karangamite. This lake was many miles around, and in it there was an island where hundreds of swans nested. The island could be reached by a bank from one shore that ran out to it with the water only knee-deep to form a kind of isthmus. Here the mob gorged themselves on thousands of swan eggs that are piled up in the area. The other mob allowed Buckley's mob to eat first and then invited them for a corroboree at their own locality. When the other mob moved off hastily, Buckley's mob went to the narrowest part of the lake and butchered many swans there which they roasted. The women dressed in white clay and emu feathers and the men in red clay that night and they had a corroboree. Then there was a usual fight over a woman who had gone with a man from Buckley's mob, but she was from another mob. Next they went to Koranamat, which is near a lake 10 miles in circumference, which is today called Lake Kolak. Here they made nets with strips of bark and caught great quantities of shrimp. Afterwards they went to Lake Mudawari. It was here that Buckley claims he saw the Australian mythical freshwater monster the bunyip. Buckley claims he only saw the back, which contained feathers. He declares that it is an amphibious creature about the size of a small calf and grey in colour. Afterwards, a bihar, or messenger, appeared and invited them to join another group. It would take them 14 days to reach them, as determined by the number of red stripes on his arms. They visited and traded with them. Here a woman from Buckley's mob was speared as justice for running off with a man from the other mob. Then Buckley's mob went to being Gala, today known as Indented Heads, and while here he experienced the biggest hailstorm he had ever experienced in his life. Buckley was becoming more familiar with the language, and he began to learn by degrees what had happened to his former fellow escapees. It seemed one of them had separated from the others and joined a mob for a while but he had been enjoying himself too much with the women, so they killed him out of jealousy. Buckley talks about some of the customs to do with marriage and child-rearing at this point in the book. A marriage must be agreed to by the parents of both the male and female in question. A male suitor must be able to prove himself a good fighter and hunter so as to be able to protect his wife. A male may have a number of wives, sometimes as many as five or six, so long as he can look after them. Some men have no wives at all as a result of this. Quarrels are usually caused by jealousy, and the women are just as prone to this as the men. In the fighting, however, the women usually come out worse off. 
The meetings of the different Aboriginal groups were not just for exchanging food, but also for showing off their eligible daughters to be seen and courted. Buckley talks of how a man from his mob went to that of another and murdered a man because he had years before promised him his daughter in marriage, and then retracted the promise and married her to another man. Buckley and some women visited the group in question to mourn together. The man was tied up in a tree as a form of burial. This incident and murder in general being such a regular occurrence unsettled Buckley and made him contemplate escaping. Afterwards, Buckley's group then went to Biahu on the Barwon River and then got a kut near the seaside. His mob contemplated punishing the murderer and they worried about an impending revenge attack. The next day, they went to a place called Palak Palak and stayed for many months because there was plenty of animal food and fish. Eventually they noticed another group approached them and they feared it was the kin of the murdered man come for revenge. But a messenger was sent and it was not that group, but a friendly mob and they were invited to share in an abundance of eels that had been found in the lagoon. Buckley explains the native origin for this fire story here. A woman was digging an anthill one day when a crow was flying overhead and dropped some dry grass and it burst into fire and burnt a tree. For this reason they respect the crow, which they call Waki, and rarely eat him. Afterwards, Buckley's mob travelled to a place called Bordek. Here there were plenty of possums. Buckley's brother-in-law taught him how to hunt the possums. He used his tomahawk to carve notches into a tree to make places to position his toes while holding his tomahawk to his mouth. He would do this and gradually climb up the tree and pull possums out and fling them to the ground by their tails. Buckley's job was to stand at the bottom and kill them. After this, Buckley's mob moved to Moriok near modern-day Geelong, and here most of the males left to go on a hunting expedition, leaving only 12 males and the females with Buckley. Soon after the men had left, another group arrived and put up some huts very close to them. The mob were aggressive and used their numbers to their advantage to intimidate Buckley's mob. Eventually they killed a boy and a girl, and Buckley's mob outraged attacked them. There was a fight which lasted an hour. Eventually, when it became clear Buckley's mob could defend themselves, the other mob left. A message was sent to the hunting party to return urgently, which they did. A war council was set up and it was decided to pursue the offending mob for revenge. Only men were chosen for the pursuit and they returned with a number of men severely wounded, but it was considered a success because they had killed two of the other mob. After some time passed, Buckley's mob moved to Barrackillick far to the north, where another mob had already settled. Buckley describes how a 20-year-old woman from his mob was speared in the thigh for going with a man from the other mob despite the fact her parents had not agreed to it. The couple then eloped and revenge was planned for them. Buckley describes another animal called carbor, or what we know as the koala. He describes how it tastes like pork, is ugly, and mainly lives in the trees. It also made a sickening sound like a child in pain when it was speared. After this, the group went to Monwa. Soon the man and woman who had eloped were found and invited to participate in some sort of ceremonial battle. The man's mob and Buckley's mob were in attendance. The man danced and capered, challenging someone from Buckley's mob to a fight. Eventually someone accepted and they fought. The man from Buckley's mob was winning and struck the eloper in the head so that blood was flowing freely. The eloper's mob stopped the fight there though and threatened a greater fight if it continued, so it stopped. Later the mob came to a freshwater lake. They saw another mob on the opposite shore during the day. During the night, they were awoken by a terrible commotion coming in the direction of the other mob. In the morning, 
Buckley's mob travelled to the other side to investigate. Most of the mob had been slaughtered by another mob. Many bodies of women and children were lying there mutilated. Many of the mob drowned in the lake fleeing. Buckley's mob invited the slaughtered mob to their huts and they accepted. There was no time to bury the victims though. Buckley's mob and their new members left as it was dangerous and travelled to their usual country of Mudawari where they remained for several months. Buckley relates how infanticide was regularly carried out by the Watherong on illegitimate children or children of a woman who was first one man's but then promised to another. They also killed children who were deformed. He saw the brains of one being dashed out by a blow to the head and the brother of the child made to eat them. There was a superstitious reasoning behind this act. It was observed that the woman behaved oddly during certain periods of the moon cycle. This was considered the reason for the deformity, and therefore this cannibalistic rite had to be performed in some sort of sacrifice. The boy's father denied his being the father, and it was said the other boy had to eat the brains so the same fate would not befall him. Buckley tells the story of how after a long time at Mudawari, another mob joined them and a woman from Buckley's mob was taken away by a man from the other mob until he was forced to give her up. She was placed in Buckley's hut, which he wasn't happy about because he knew it would inevitably lead to some sort of trouble. Sure enough, in the night, the man came to the hut and speared the man from Buckley's mob, who he was jealous of, and kidnapped the woman. Buckley and the victim's brother tried to pull out the spear, but could not because it was jagged. Eventually a woman pulled the spear, but the man died later and was buried. Some men pursued the murderer, but returned at night when they could not find him. The dead man's mother burnt her face with fire sticks in lamentation in order to assuage the pain at losing her son. Shortly afterwards, Buckley's mob changed hunting grounds and fell in with the mob the murderer belonged to. A fight ensued, but Buckley's mob could not find the man in question, so instead they murdered his four-year-old son by bashing his brains in. They also killed his brother and speared his mother through the thigh. The murderer himself came back at night and killed the man who had killed his brother, cut most of the flesh from his body and carried it away on spears. The man's mob signalled their joy at this revenge by singing and dancing. Buckley talks here about how his own mob requested of him to partake in cannibalism, but he refused to do so. He goes on to say that he was told it was their intention to serve all of the murderer's mob in the same way. After this madness, Buckley's mob settled near a lake called Kudginmara. Another fight occurred, as usual, about women. Buckley says he was nearly killed here by a boomerang that split his shield. Apparently, the assailant had intended to throw the boomerang at Buckley's brother-in-law, rather than Buckley himself. The man was then punished, despite Buckley's protests. In this incident, Buckley's hand was wounded, and the women bound it with possum felt and sinew. On a more positive note, Buckley says the Aboriginal people love music and play on possum rugs and sticks. He goes on to say that the natives never wash and wear ornaments as rings and in their hair, such as bones and teeth from animals and feathers from emu and swans. At the lake they were at, the mob ate mainly kalkith, what we would today call bull ants, found in the hollows of trees. These were pulled out by hand and burnt or roasted on strips of bark, but are only available one month of the year. Buckley also mentions how the Wadharong get the stone for making their axes from a place called Karkin, today known as Mount William, about 230 kilometres inland. 
He qualifies this though with the warning that the mob who live in that area are savage, so it is necessary to send a contingent of tough fighting men to fetch this necessary article. Soon afterwards, Buckley's mob were invited by another to fish for eels at a river called Booniwillock. Here another mob arrived and another fight occurred over women. Buckley's mob continued to roam about after this. One man was bitten by a snake while stepping over a tree and died immediately. He details how the man was an esteemed member of the group and his death caused great sorrow and he was buried in a tree. After some time Buckley was left with only his immediate relations and two or three families of others. A large mob of sixty came upon them and, and painted themselves up as if for war. While Buckley stayed at the rear, the aggressive mob attacked, killing his brother-in-law's wife and sending a spear through his brother-in-law's body. The injured brother-in-law was taken back to the rear where Buckley tended to his wounds. However, the aggressive mob eventually made their way to the rear, where the brother-in-law suddenly sprang up and speared one in the arm. On seeing this, the aggressive mob immediately dispatched him with spears and boomerangs, as was his son. For some reason, they did not attack Buckley. Apparently, the cause of the attack was that the man who died of the snake bite originally belonged to the attacking mob. They believed Buckley's brother-in-law had caused his death somehow. Buckley was deeply affected by the killing of his relatives. He was ordered by one murderer to join his mob, but Buckley angrily refused. After this, he cried for a long time about their deaths. Having seen so much violence, Buckley here decided to wrap up his spears and set out alone. After about four miles, he fell in with a group he knew. Buckley told them about the murders and they vowed vengeance. Before they set off, they told Buckley where to remain once they had returned. He set off for the place near the Barwon River. Five women returned a few days later and said there had been a great fight. Friends had avenged the killer of his brother-in-law. The women had left the scene because of the danger of being captured. The women left Buckley after a few days, and he then went to the scene of the massacre of his family. Here he found the ashes of his family and buried them. After this sad affair, Buckley went back to the Barwon River and the men returned the next day. They asked Buckley to join their mob, but he refused as he was depressed following the murder of his family and did not trust them to avoid violence. They left and the next day Buckley left in the opposite direction towards the sea. He eventually reached a place called Mangahons and here he set up a hut where he lived alone for months. By this stage, he had now been living in the wild for more than 25 years and so must have been just shy of 50. He had learnt from the Aboriginal people that the Calcutta had left what is now Port Phillip Bay many years before. Despite this, he often looked towards the sea and hoped for ships to appear on the horizon, but he never saw any. He prayed often to God and lived a very lonely and miserable existence.